friends, endurance geeks, nut jobs. Coach Q, episode 11. We're deep. We're getting deep into these episodes, guys and gals. And in this one, we, 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 we go deep. We go deep into the snow. Because in this episode, we talk with Jill Homer, who is an adventurer in many ways. And um, I first came to know about Jill through her writing. And she is a very prolific, very, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? She's a good writer, but just has a way of capturing adventure um, in a way that's very engrossing and very detailed, very, you know, could be funny. Just in many different, different ways to describe her writing about her adventures. And I initially stumbled onto her writing through her blog called Jill Outside. And this was a blog that she started when she moved to, to Alaska. And you'll hear that story in the, in the blog. But how I came to know it was from taking a deep dive into the mountain biking world or, or coming back to it as I had um, raced mountain bikes back in my Wisconsin days. Shout out to the Dairy State. And um, had after we had moved to the Golden Isles, had been... I'd been dragging this mountain bike frame with me that I had purchased back in the mid-90s from Gunner Bikes, a Rockhound frame, mountain bike frame, shout out to them. And I decided, you know what, i got to put this thing together, get out on the bike, start doing some more riding. Of course, I'd been running, but um, wanted to, to, well, I wanted to build this bike because it had been dragging the frame with me, you know, through all of our various moves. And thought, you know, it was about time that I put two wheels on it, a seat, some handlebars, and and get with it. And as I was doing that, you know, just reacclimating myself to the mountain bike scene. Of course, I'm a huge cycling fan, and you know, love road cycling, and have been following that since I was a kid. But then, you know, just getting back into the mountain biking world, I came across this little-known race at the time, a lot more popular now, called the Tour Divide. And the Tour Divide is a mountain bike race that starts in Banff, Canada. And traverses the Continental Divide all the way down to Antelope Wells, New Mexico. 2,700 miles of smiles and several feet of climbing and descending through some of the more most beautiful, beautiful sections of this country. And so she had just finished this race. She had raced it. This was 2009, if I'm not mistaken. And she wrote about it in her blog, which was this 10-part blog. And so just doing a, a you know, random search on, on the Google site, it popped it up. You know, to mountain, Tour Divide, mountain bike, and it was her blog. And she wrote this 10-piece blog post about her experience, what it was like to ride through Hill and Dale and, you know, through crazy weather, lightning, rain. I don't remember if there was snow in that that year. Hippies, abandoned car. I mean, it was it was it's quite a story, and she cap and she does a wonderful job of capturing that. So I read about her adventures there, and then said, "Well, I got to read some of her other stuff." And you know, she's done these hundred mile winter bike races in Alaska. She's there's a bike race that is held in you know kind of around the same time as a dog sled race that I think most of us are familiar with. Which is hundreds of miles in you know in the winter in Alaska, and it was I was just like wow, man, this is this is great stuff, and you know she just 
again, did a really good job of capturing that in her words and transporting you to, to you know, what was happening with her at the time, depending on the races that she was a part of. She's also gone on and taken some of those adventures and turned them into books, and she has seven books that she's, she's written. I highly recommend Be Brave, Be Strong, which is her account, a more in-depth account of, of her experience in the Tour Divide. And um, so definitely take a look at that. And of course, I'll put, of course, I'll put all this information in the show notes um, so that you guys can do your own deep dive and, and come to know her work and her writing. And I will say also, as we just get ready to, to listen to our conversation, uh, it was about three or four days after we taped our, our talk that she posted on Facebook that um, well, she was sad to report that her, her father had passed away from uh, uh, a hiking accident. He was hiking Mount Raymond, in, which is just outside of Salt Lake City or in the Salt Lake City area. And just, you know, an accident where he slipped and he fell and you know, sustained, um, you know, injuries that um, he did not survive from. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to, to extend my condolences to, to Jill and her family and also to dedicate this episode in, in honor of Jed Homer, her father, who she has written about and talked about how he had inspired her to to seek adventure, to be outside, and to be out in in you know and enjoy Mother Nature. And so, you know, this this one's for him and and, and her family. And um, let's go for a run. So what I wanted to do first, Jill, first of all, thank you for being here. Welcome to the Lane One podcast is as I was, as we were talking before we started recording, I stumbled onto your, your blog, Jill Outside, which that's what it's always been called, correct? Well, for, I mean, it's quite an old blog, but it used to be called Up in Alaska when I lived. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not, you're not up in Alaska currently, right? No, no, I live in Colorado currently. I have not lived in Alaska for 10 years now. It's unbelievable to me too, but. A lifetime ago. A lifetime ago. I moved away in 2010. Gotcha. Oh, wow. 11 years. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So back in 2009, I was, uh, we had recently moved um, to Southeast Georgia, which is where I am now. And what do you do when you move to Southeast Georgia is you, you finally get to build your mountain bike that I had been dragging with me through our various moves. And in so doing, because, you know, there's so many hills here in coastal Georgia. That's a joke for all my friends that live in coastal Georgia, because there aren't any, it's all flat. But <laughs> I had back in my Wisconsin days had done some mountain bike racing and just wanted to get this bike built just as a way of just completing that circle and just took a dive into back into the mountain bike world and learned about this race called the great divide. And up to that point, I knew nothing about it and then stumbled across your, your blog. And as I was mentioning to you earlier, you had just completed the race or a ride, or I don't know what you want to call it, but you had just completed it and you had uploaded um, 
like a 10 part series, which eventually became a book. Yes. Correct. All right. So I was hoping to start there because I became a fanboy of your writing and your adventures because you have a very stout resume of adventures. And when I say adventures, I really mean adventures. You I mean, you're not just a weekend warrior, 5k, 10k athlete. You were doing the Iditarod foot race, bike race up in Alaska and not in the summer, yeah. <laughs> in the winter. So, you know, very fascinated by not only the physical part of doing something like that, but also the mental and spiritual part of that. Not that, you know, spiritual, I think you know what I mean. Yes. Okay. So if you'll indulge me, what I wanted to do to kind of kick this off was read something that you wrote and see what you think about it now, 11 years after, after you wrote it. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Okay. Don't be scared. <laughs> okay. You wrote, I pedaled a few more miles until the road seemed to dry again a small patch of land that hadn't been pummeled by storms and began setting up my camp. After weathering the horrific storm and having found the courage to power through it without breaking down and cowering in a ditch, I felt a surge of confidence and can't be duplicated by any other kind of success. And as I laid down beneath a near full moon revealed by a new clearing in the clouds, I realized that this was the answer to that ever-present question. Why do you do this? Why does someone like me, who doesn't possess any remarkable athletic talent and who isn't all that competitive and who still harbors plenty of fears about things remote and lonely and wild, why do I participate in incredible, difficult, expensive, time-consuming, admittedly dangerous ultra-endurance races when I might find more success and fewer challenges in more reasonable endeavors and more reasonable endeavors. And that moment in the Gila forest perfectly framed the reason. Physical fitness is fleeting. Strength is forever. Yeah. It, I still feel exactly the same way. I mean, I'm still pursuing. I'm still pursuing kind of for the same reasons. Okay. Seeking my strength. You know, it, uh, it's fleeting, unfortunately, you know, you gain this <laughs> confidence and then it, I mean, it doesn't just last, you know, I can't ride on these successes forever. So I just keep seeking out new, new challenges. So, <laughs> but it is still for the same reasons. I, I've always, you know, I was a timid child and I've always been pretty prone to anxiety and developing fears that I don't like to live with. So this is my way of, of challenge of battling yeah. those fears sure. seeking, seeking these seeking these challenges is my way of of see of you know building strength sure sure and you wrote that when it was i think one of your first moves to alaska that you decided to embark on your first i don't remember if it was if it was i don't remember how long the race was but you decided here i'm in alaska this is there's a race i'm going to jump into it but prior to that, prior to making that decision, were, I mean, how would you have described, I mean, were, were you doing races? Were you a 5K, 10K? Were you a roadie? What, what was happening up until that point? So 
that's what's pretty funny about me. I, I got into hiking when I was still a teenager and it was pretty outdoorsy by the time I moved to Alaska. I had okay. done some bike touring, some, some longer distance hikes, not, not like through, you know, like week long hikes. Sure. Um, so I had that background, but I had no racing background. I wasn't, you know, I didn't do sports as a child or as an adolescent and I didn't run or, you know, recreationally at all. So when I moved to Alaska, I was kind of a recreational cyclist was my main sport or my main hobby at the time was cycling. And so I just moved there and when winter was coming, I'm like, oh man, if I don't, if I don't create a a goal for myself or a challenge, I'm not going to keep up, you know, it's going to be too cold and too dark. <laughs> I'm not going to keep this up. And I'm going to, you know, if I, I was like 25 at the time, I was like, Oh, I'm going to get fat and I need to keep <laughs> exercising. So, <laughs> um, and so kind of that, it, this is around 2005. I started reading, I just encountered a few blogs from local people mm-hmm. And got some ideas that I could ride my bike all winter long, which was a completely new concept to me. I didn't know that people did that. I thought I would have to ski and I had tried skiing a few times. I wasn't very good at it. I have terrible balance, but uh, like, oh, if I can keep riding my bike through the winter, that would be amazing. So I went to REI to purchase some studded tires for my mountain bike. Um, and that's when I found this brochure for the Susitna 100, which is a hundred mile bike. It can be bike, ski or foot, but a race, on the Iditarod Trail that's 100 miles long. And I'm showing this to my boyfriend at the time. He's like, you can't do that, you're gonna die. And I'm like, I will prove you wrong. <laughs> so that's kind of how it all started was I'm like, I'm gonna I just randomly like, this, this is basically my first, the first race in my life. That's not like, you know, a, something, you know, like a capture the flag that I did when I was five kind of thing. Uh, but uh, at, I, I committed, I signed up for this Asitna 100. And what time of the year is that? Uh, so that's right around Valentine's Day. It's mid-February. Which is still freaking cold. It's very, yeah, it's very cold in Alaska that time of year. I mean, it's full winter. You're riding a bike on top of snow. The, the trails are groomed by snow machines. You know, they're packed down, but they're still just, it's just still snow. And at the time, I did not have a fat bike. They were around, but fairly new at the time. And I couldn't afford the the one that was the the Surly Pugsley that was kind of the mass market fat bike at the time. So I had my my full suspension mountain bike with its 2.1 inch tires. You know, I put the studded tires on and I'm like, I'm ready to go. And um, trained for the race. I trained, you know, trained, it was pretty dedicated in my training. I had, I started my blog to help keep myself accountable. And, but when I got into the race, it was still just way more, I, you know, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. It was way harder than I was even expecting. And uh, I had a really difficult night. It got, actually got pretty warm, which in winter racing is bad because the snow gets mushy and soft and it was raining. So when it's 30, you know, three degrees and raining, that's actually really hard to stay warm in that type of condition. And meanwhile, the trail is deteriorating and I'm soaking wet and just freezing. <laughs> um, but I, so I had to battle through the night like this and ended up taking 25 hours to finish a hundred mile race. But I got to the end and it was just like this incredible feeling of accomplishment. Like 
wow, you know, I actually did that. Like, and you yeah. proved your boyfriend at the time wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I had, yeah, it was not just him. It was like, you're good. You know, I had friends. I had like my like high school friends writing me like, you're not really going to do this. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> you're crazy. Um, yeah. Cause it just, people who knew me, it didn't really fit my personality at the time or, you know, it just wasn't really like me to, to take on this big, scary competition. You know, I was usually more reserved and more careful. And like I said, kind of timid about, you know, doing really difficult or risky things. Sure. Sure. And was that, were you surprised by that, that you kind of put that challenge up that you challenge yourself in that way? Yeah. So I really surprised myself with that. You know, I, having a specific goal and committing to it really put me in that mindset that I, I have to do this and I have to finish this. But at the same time, every, with every turn, I was butting up against things that scared me and things that, you know, really, you know, send off those alarm signals. Like you, you know, you need to stop and go find somewhere warm and somewhere safe. And, and every time I surmounted that fear, it was very empowering. So that's when I realized that this is how I can combat my fears, which we're starting to, like I said, I'm prone to anxiety. It's something, you know, something I struggle with and to find this way to, uh, to combat them was sure. So it's, it's, it's fascinating to hear you say that because, you know, when I think about races that I sign up for, whether, you know, when I got into ultras and was thinking about, everything that could go right. And, but yet I spent more time thinking about everything could possibly go wrong yeah. and then training for that. And then thinking about just the mental gymnastics that I'm going to go through to get through that. If that even, if, if something like that creeps up. And so I think about you in that first hundred mile race, you've not, from what I can tell, have done a lot of that type of racing before. And so I'm curious, uh, you just in terms of the training, maybe talk a little bit about what you did just to mentally prepare yourself for that. Because what I've, what I've noticed in reading, like I said, in reading a lot of your, your, your recaps of some of your adventures is that when I'm reading it, it seems very matter of fact. It's like, okay, you know, I've got to ride through 20 miles of muddy track and it sucks, but, and then it, I get to the end of it and it's like, oh, you know, it was too bad. You know, but I know just from myself that when you're in it, it's much different. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it does. It does help to mentally prepare for the worst, as you know, as you mentioned. Like I said, it, it, I, I think in this in this sport, it helps to be a pessimist to be like, oh, what could go wrong? <laughs> you know, and then and then you're ready for it. But, but yeah, you're right. When you're when you're in the thick of it, it's just really upsetting and really you know, really difficult to deal with. So. <laughs> but did you do what, like, how did, how did you prepare for that? You know, your first, um, you know, going into that it's winter, it's, you're in a new, you're in a new space. Um, you, you're still getting used to not just the training, but, you know, just kind of all those new things. Yeah. So with this assistant, you know, and doing such a long race and having no idea if I had, you know, cause I was so new to basically to like racing and, and athleticism that mm. I had no idea if my body could do it. So I was very dedicated to my training and that helped. So I had a job at the time, you know, that was your pretty typical, like nine to five, 
which in the winter in Alaska is more than all daylight hours. So I was always <laughs> riding my bike in the dark, always. Um, I would commute to work, but I also did, sometimes I would, or often I would do these extended rides at night and on weekends, but, um, and it was just getting myself out there every single day and being like, well, I have to do this or else I might actually die. And this is in 100, like <laughs> this is going to happen. So I was very committed to it, but it got me out there in the dark and the cold and the wind and just all of these things that were so intimidating. But it was like every single day, I was just like doing something to challenge myself and, and I was building up toward doing this bigger thing. And that, I mean, it's, it's just always a process to. Right. And then after that, you just hit it hard. And I was looking yeah. at your races that you listed on your, on your, on your, on the blog page. And it was after that, it was like Pandora's endurance box had opened for me. <laughs> yeah. You said I discovered it was something that really, that I just loved. I mean, um, and so, yeah, I really wanted more. So with, in Alaska, I continue with the endurance biking. I did sure. some 24 hour racing, which was pretty popular at the time. In the summer, I did more, <clears throat> a couple more of those 100 mile winter races. And then I signed up for the Iditarod, which I did the 350 mile in 2008. And again, just got myself in so much deeper than I even imagined. And so, so remote and so alone. So again, just feeling super empowered by this. and Like, oh, I can do. So I was getting to this point where I was like, I can do anything I want to do. And that's when I signed up for the tour divide. <laughs> like that, that was really, that was almost like the pinnacle of being like of my, the most confidence I had. And, you know, but you know, you see, you know, if you've read my book, you know, I still had a lot of doubts, but. Oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> um, it was starting to feel like I, I could do anything, which was, was a pretty fun time in my life, really. <laughs> well, yeah, very empowering, especially if you complete yeah. these, these very challenging races you know, you're probably thinking, you know, I'm on top of the world. Yeah. So did the tour divide. And, um, and then after that, I, I got into ultra running also. So, right. One of the, I, I, one of the other fascinating things that I find about your adventures, Jill, is not only are you engaged, you know, doing them, you're participating in, but then also your ability to recall that information and then very eloquently, you know, describe it in word. And I'm wondering just what that process is like, because as I'm rereading, as I was rereading your, your post from the great divine, I'm thinking, I don't know that I could remember what happened two days ago, let alone <laughs> this detail that you're, that you're, you know, you're sharing with us, um, you know, in, in, in your recap and your retelling of, of what was happening. Are you yeah. taking notes? Are you I mean back at back? Yeah, I, I mean during the divide, I actually blogged while I was biking. Um, there's a few posts on my blog that were that were made during the race. Okay, which I made with a little, you know, 2009 at the time. I had some kind of BlackBerry type device. I don't know. It was a weird. <laughs> Those <laughs> ancient kind of times. A little right? bit pre pre smartphone era, but um, yeah, I do have. I do. I think I have a, like a strong memory. Like I definitely remember details pretty readily. And then that's the reason I keep the blog and keep it going is when I record these details fairly soon afterward, then for later recall, right. I can, I can go back to that. Plus all the photos I take, those do a lot for me. I can look at a map and, and really remember, Oh, you know, this is when I was 
what I was doing when I was here. And when I thought I was going to die right here. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I record my runs or rides on Strava and later I can look at the map and be like, oh yeah, it's just, I'm, you know, so having these little details help jog the memory, but I and do you, think that's the thing about myself, you know, that I, I do remember a lot of things about my life. <laughs> And I value that too, which is why I keep journals and keep blogs. And sure, sure. So, are you besides the blog and some of the other writing you're doing? Are you also journaling? Um, I I used to do more. I used actually do like handwritten journaling that was like just for me. Gotcha. My secret world, but I admit I kind of fallen out of that practice a little more. (laughs) So did you? It's good to do that. Like for people who. I, I recommend journaling as far as, you know, not, not just doing your social media, but also sure. down your, your day for, for basically for only your eyes. Sure. Sure. No, I, I, that, that's yeah. something that it's one of those things that I keep reminding myself that I should do, but I don't do. So who knows, maybe after this conversation, I'll get inspired to, to start doing that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I need to, I, I again, I've a bit, I've fallen out of the habit myself. So. So did you, did did you study writing or how did you fall into that? Or was that just kind of organic? So, you know, when I was like five years old and they, they had us write or, you know, six and they had us write a little essay paragraph about what we wanted to be when we grew up. It was always like, I wanted to be a writer. So I'm one of those people who like always wanted to be a writer. I used to write little picture books when I was six, seven years old and, um, through middle and high school, I actually thought I would pursue a more lucrative career <laughs> and kind of study math and science thinking I might go into engineering. But then in uh, my senior year in high school, I got onto the high school newspaper and that that was like, I loved the, the newspaper. And so after that, it was about journalism for me. That's what I studied in college. And I was <clears throat> working for newspapers for most of the early part of my career. I still do freelance work for newspapers still, even though newspapers are, it's a dying industry. Oh yeah. Uh, but I still really value community newspapers and what they do for the individual, you know, especially like community journalism, I think is really valuable. So I, I continue to work with that. Are you working with any right now currently? Yeah. Yeah. I still, I still work for several newspapers in Alaska, oh, okay. um, which is a lot of fun. Uh, some rural weeklies, Bristol Bay, the Arctic Sounder, which is up near Uktavik and some shout out to my Alaska newspaper. <laughs> um, and just, you know, and I, I, that's kind of one of my main contracts. And I, I do blog posts for companies as well. Like, so I gotcha. I'll write up like gear, you know, gear reviews and stuff that's not really under my name, but it's posted on a website. Gotcha. Blogs. So. This is so, kind of what I do for, for work right now. And I still have my personal projects. I still work on books. You know, I, I've kind of been dabbling more in books in re- recent years. But. Gotcha. Gotcha. Seven as of my current yeah. count, correct? Yeah. Okay. We're going to come back to that in a second, but just okay. back, to, back to the newspaper piece. So as a freelancer, you're in Colorado. These papers are, are community weeklies in Alaska. Are you writing? What kind of stories are you writing? Uh, so what, what I'm, I'm actually the editor. Um, uh, we okay. have reporters that actually are up there, you know, which is gotcha. and I do the work of putting the newspaper together. So they send me their stories. I read them, edit them. And then I, 
actually do the layout on the page. And how long have you been doing that now for? <laughs> so that, um, well, I left Alaska in, like I said, 2010. And then right around 2013, I was visiting one of my old bosses, you know, who had become a friend of mine. Uh-huh. And she, she was, she needed someone to take over this position. And she's like, that would be good for you. So I applied and got the job, but I've been doing it since 2013, this specific contract. So. Nice. What, and what, what, what have you noticed about, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, newspapers are, you know, a thing, not a thing of a past yet. They're still hanging on. What, as, as someone that's editing a community newspaper, what, what are you seeing? What, 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 what would you tell folks about, you know, the state of the community newspaper? Well, I mean, it's hard. I mean, luckily we, we almost went under about two years ago and then we were bought out by the Anchorage Daily News. Okay. Um, so now kind of every, almost every newspaper in Alaska is kind of owned under the same gotcha. company, which is, has, is both good and bad. But anyway, it, it is hanging on. And again, it's such an important role because nobody else is really covering these specific stories, you know, the, the stories about the people in the community, sure. the town meetings, you know, various policies that go into place in, sure. in, you know, in the town. Things that just nobody else is going to cover unless you get a, a very dedicated blogger who does it as a hobby kind of thing. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so it's good. It's still hanging on and, and it's still profitable for the Anchorage Daily News because they're still selling local ads. And gotcha. Like it works in the Arctic because like they're up there, their internet's so limited that they can still sell these paper newspapers. But sure. That, that's probably even changing. I mean, they're getting broadband soon. So, you know, it is, it's just, it's, it's hard to say where it's even going to be in like 10 more years. I'm a little worried because as traditional journalism goes away, it's being replaced by just the scattershot of blogging and, you know, just like commentary, you know, the people are getting a lot of misinformation now because it's just not, you know, it's a very opportunist. Sure. This distributing of information is just like, you know, whoever wants to do it can do it these days. And people have no credibility or publishing things that are becoming very viral. So it's, you know. And just because it's, it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I think you can, you can kind of see in our current culture, kind of the, <laughs> the perils of having lots of misinformation out there. <laughs> Boy, that's we could we could talk on that for. Yeah, for a few I mean, hours. we don't need to get into that. Obviously, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, uh, this is why I feel that you know why I really want to stick with journalism as long as I can, even if I don't make very much money doing it. So. Sure, sure. No, I mean, and especially in, a, in like you're saying, in, a, in communities where you know the internet still isn't as um, viral, if you will, um, yeah. <laughs> as as it is you know, in more you know more populous areas, or you know, I think it is important. It's like you said, though, it's too bad that, you know, with anybody can get on the internet and doesn't have the journalistic standards or ethics that, you know, somebody who's a trained reporter or somebody that, you know, believes in the power of the press will follow instead of just getting on and spewing whatever opinions they have about, you know, a local ordinance that's going, you know, into effect. Yeah. Yeah. So with your... 
that is one of my fears for the future. But anyway, <laughs> say that part again. I'm sorry. Oh, that one. That is one of my fears for the future. If like these local community newspapers actually go under and there's just nothing, nothing left, really. Nobody's going to the town meeting, you know, the community council. Right, right, right. What's going to happen in government at that point? <laughs> but yeah, I had a friend of mine that what that, that that's a journalist or. Well, he's, he, he, he worked as a journalist for a while in, in kind of a small town, Western Wisconsin. And that was his beat. He was the, he covered the community meetings, um, <laughs> excuse me, the board meetings, and was also the sports photographer for the sports section. Mm-hmm. So kind of did a couple different, wore a couple different hats. Yeah. Excuse me, I thought I was going to sneeze. <laughs> so, so, so as a prolific writer, you know, I mentioned you, you, you've written seven books. And your first book was, was it, was it the Tour Divide? The Be Brave, Be Strong? Yeah, I actually wrote a book before that about my 2008 Iditarod, which is called Ghost Trails. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. So when you, when, when, so going back to that first book then, Ghost Trails, what, were you, did you feel like, okay, I put together enough material, this would make a great book, did somebody approach you? What was that process like? So I, yeah, I really wanted to put together a book that was sort of like, you know, I thought it was so weird. that like, oh, someone like me is, you know, doing this, <laughs> I did a rod race, which is just really kind of outlandish. And I, I wanted to write a book kind of describing how that happened, what the process was, you know? So I, I did, in that book, I did kind of a, a timeline mixture of background stories and the current story, which was the 2008, I did a rod. Gotcha. And, and kind of like drawing some parallels there between the two. So that's what I want to do with that book, but it was, what gave me the idea was while I was training for that race in 2007, 2008, I was doing actually a kind of similar to what we're, well, I would do this call in um, kind of bit on NPR. There okay. was a program at the time called the Bryant Park Project. Okay. Uh, was was broadcast at 5 a.m. in New York City on, <laughs> on like some day of the week. Uh-huh. I would call in every week at which it was 1am in Alaska. And I would describe my week's training. It was just, I don't know how, you know, but I got, I got into doing that with it, this uh, NPR program that wasn't national. It was really just in New York city, but it was kind of like, I was the weirdo calling in. <laughs> and the, the editor or the producer for that program told me that I should write a book. So I'm like, yeah, I'll write a book. <laughs> so that's, that's really how that launched. So, so, so back to the weirdo calling in <laughs> at 1am. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was uh, kind of a syndicated part that went to different radio stations or was that just a Yeah. So it, it was like an NPR program based out of New York, like Bryant Park is a, is a place in New York city. Right. Right. And just really, I think it was like probably one of the producers just found my blog and was like, Oh, this person would be interesting for us gotcha. to in our segment. So I, my understanding with that program was it was mostly broadcast in New York city. It probably had a few, you know, it wasn't quite like this American life where it was syndicated everywhere on all NPR stations, but uh, I think it had a few more markets, but again, it was, it was, you know, it was NPR, so it was just public radio. So you, you, you've, out of those seven books that you've written, what, what story or what, what, which, which book still sticks out for you the most, which is the one that you, that you, that you go back and go, I'm sure you're proud of all, 
all, all of the efforts <laughs> that went into it. But is there one that you're thinking, man? Well, I mean, yeah, Be Brave, Be Strong really, I think is my best book. You know, it's by far my most popular book. Okay. Um, well, I can see why. <laughs> yeah. It, and it's interesting because like I said, I wrote, I mean, I, I wrote it mostly in 2010, um, published in 2011. I haven't really written, read it myself since about that time, you know, like I read, <laughs> I catch snippets of it. Um, and I have, so it's been so long now that I can say, if I read it again, I'd probably be like, oh yeah, like you just read an excerpt, you know, right. like, oh yeah, that, that makes, you know, <laughs> I don't really remember it exactly, but it still very much falls in line. But it is funny to talk to people about that book because most people have read it a lot more recently and they remember it a lot better than I do. So. <laughs> but I still remember the experience very well. So it's very easy for me to talk about the, the 2009 Tour Divide, but it is kind of funny. So many people still so strongly relate to that book and they, they think that I'm still that same person. And in a way I am, but you know, still it was 10, you know, 12 years ago now. So well, I, I, changed for me, but <laughs> <laughs> I can see why people would think that because as I was rereading re it, rereading the blog post, um, the, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to blow, you know, smoke up your, you know, <laughs> up your butt, but the way the, everything that happened just to you in that experience you know, there's a part of me that just really wants to talk to you about, okay, remember when you were in Colorado at this moment and what were you thinking? What were you feeling? Because it's, 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 it's exciting. It's outlandish. Some of the stuff that happened and surreal. And, you know, there was this just waves of roller coaster of stuff that were happening. And as again, and when I was finishing up, uh, you know, the last, there were 10 parts in your blog post. And as I was finishing up, I was going like, I needed to sit down and go, good God, you know, I can't even imagine what that felt like for you. But then I'm also wondering, you know, <clears throat> it's not like you, you looked at it and finished the race and thought of it as a whole. I mean, there were just so many things that I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you probably still have moments now, maybe, I don't know, where you're like, holy crap, that did happen, didn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I, I said a lot without saying, without saying anything. So respond as you would. No, I, I understand what you mean. I mean, yeah, it, it was a very intense experience and that, you know, I'm so grateful that I've been able to have some, a few of these experiences, which is another reason I continue to pursue racing um, because it really does just put you in this, this moment, this really intense moment that uh, because of that, it really sticks with you and and stays, you know, it stays with me as a part of my life. Sure, sure. And just so folks understand that the, the Tour Divide is a race that starts in Banff, Canada, and then follows the Continental Divide all the way down to Antelope Wells, New Mexico, with which is about 2,700 miles. And I don't remember how much elevation gain and loss, but it's it's a lot. Like, yeah. What, over 200,000? That number's been, yeah, it's been changed. Over, it's, I, they, they say 200,000. I think it's probably closer to like 180, but yeah, it's, it's a lot. We can round up. Yeah. <laughs> and in, in, in that you experience bears, vicious dogs, uh, you know, great conversations, um, hippies, vicious dogs, <laughs> mud, a lot of mud, a lot of rain. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm like I'm traumatizing you know she's like yeah, after I, this I need to call my <laughs> therapist and go <laughs> might can definitely be traumatizing yeah <laughs> it just it was it, it was like living a little bit of a life like a whole lifetime almost every single day so it just, and you went back and you wrote it again correct I did yeah in 2015 um I went back and I wanted to write it faster you know I'm like okay <laughs> because that's now I know <laughs> I know the strategies and I'm super fit it was really like that, that probably was the pinnacle of my physical fitness was 2015. Um, and started out well, but then I got sick. I got bronchitis. Oh, that's uh, right. Turned into pneumonia. And unfortunately, I, I feel like that has kind of launched some health problems I've had since with autoimmune disease. But uh, yeah, it just was kind of this unfortunate turn of events. And I ended up scratching when I was 1700 miles into the race. In, Colorado. Um, <clears throat> since then, it's been, you know, an ongoing thing with, with a few health issues sure. and life in general, I would love to go back. And I was actually like, right now, I'm actually pretty seriously thinking about 2022. Nice. Go back and have my, my tour divide come back. <laughs> Breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, but we'll see. I mean, really, it's like, you know, for a while, I was even thinking maybe 2020, but you know, of course there was pandemic and anyway. Yeah. I spoke to, to, to a guy that just rode, he rode it last year and started in Montana and then it had a stop uh, just before New Mexico, because at the time when he rode it, New Mexico had some pretty strict uh, COVID regulations. So he couldn't, he couldn't ride in. Mm -hmm. And so um, he went back recently and rode the remaining miles in New Mexico and, um, so he felt like, you know, he was able to, he, it was his tour divide. Of course. <laughs> Quote yeah. unquote. Yeah. Just, whether or not you did it in one fell swoop, you, you, you know. Yeah, you, you still it. did it. Absolutely. Yeah. Still did it. Now, would you do it from south to north or would you still go from? I think north? I'd still go north. Like I said, I still want to do the classic tour divide starting in Banff um, and, you know, even though I'm so much older now, <laughs> I'm not quite that old yet. Like my, my health is better than it has been in recent years, so. Um, yeah, I would still like to challenge to see, to see what I could do. Sure. Sure. It's not going to be like Lil Wilcox level of fast. <laughs> it could be faster. I think. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's another world right there. I'll never be. Yeah. I'll never be <laughs> her or anybody, you know, even close to that, but it's still fun to challenge your limit. I mean, that's what I really enjoy about endurance racing. I don't have to be the best and I never tried to be the best, but I try to be the best that I can be. Sure. And you've been doing that since the 2005. <laughs> yeah, I, I really have. I haven't taken too much of a break. Like I said, I've had some years that have been worse than others because of health or just other various things. And now, I haven't you... much, you know, in the past year, because obviously, because nobody has, but uh... sure. Now, have you done the Colorado trail? Um, no, I haven't done that. Um, that, that could be something I'd be interested in. Colorado trail is a little more technical than tour divide. Um, I'm not a very strong technical mountain biker. Uh, I beg to differ. For that reason, it would be a good, it'd be a good challenge for me for sure. Yeah. There were, there were a couple sections there, at least the way you wrote about it in the <laughs> divide ride that you did that uh, sound like you could handle the, the, the technical yeah. part. No, there I know people think the Tour de Biology, they're like, oh, it's just a road race, but it's really not. I mean, you get onto some rugged track in that race. So, 
I mean, I'm sure you, you're pretty familiar with rugged terrain riding in Georgia. I <laughs> sure. I don't even win, but I've heard, I've heard about the trails there. <laughs> Yeah, not where we live. It's just oh, really? concrete bridges is what we have. I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're about an hour north of Jacksonville, hour south of Savannah to get there. there, there I should say there, there is some, there is some mountain biking in North, Northeast Florida, like around Jacksonville where, um, um, which, you know, the local mountain biking groups have put in jumps and you know ramps and stuff like that which makes it fun that way but the kind of riding you know technical single track that kind of stuff we have to get to north georgia yeah that's north like, carolina yeah yeah that, and that, it, that race in north georgia i i read about it it's like that sounds hard <laughs> yeah and and uh i don't know if he's still riding but uh matthew lee who won the divide mm-hmm. the year you wrote it he he wrote that um the Georgia uh, race, he did it like in two days. I was like, show off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think Matthew Lee is still kind of the uh, quiet race director of the Tour Divide. He's still he's still organizing it. Well, somebody needs to tell him to, to update that website because it still says 2014. <laughs> yeah, no, I asked him once why I didn't update it. it is, I guess he just, he was getting some pressure after a while because the Tour Divide was becoming so popular and it's still not really sanctioned. Right, right. At all. I mean, he doesn't have any, you know, there's no permits. There's, you know, nothing like that, no insurance. So he, he stopped updating the website because he basically distanced himself from it publicly. So oh. now he can say, oh, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not involved anymore. Gotcha. But from what I understand, he's still helping put out the track. I mean, he's still involved with track leaders, of course. So. Sure. Yeah, bikepacking, I think it was bikepacking.net or .com, I'm not sure what the website is, has the most current information, it, or at least it has the, the tracking, and it shows people mm-hmm. as of noon today in a few hours, or a couple hours. Yeah, hour. it gets starting, any, yeah, I think it is mountain time, I think it starts at noon, so it probably should just be two more hours. <laughs> so uh, are, are, are you working, do you have a book that you're working on now, or an idea for a book, another adventure that's going to turn? Yeah, into I, I mean, yeah, I have, I have books I'm working on. I've been working on for years, one that's another autobiography that uh, kind of describing how I got into running, because I feel like it's kind of an interesting story. Oh. <laughs> in one way. When I, when I met the person who's now my husband uh, and how he kind of got me into running <laughs> anyway. It actually, there are some, you know, it sounds kind of basic when I describe it that way, but there are some good stories in there. Um, I've been working on that for a while. I've got, I've, I've got several projects, but. Um, yeah. And, 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 and your husband, husband beat, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's an, endur- and I affection, I use this term affectionately with all my athletes. <laughs> he's an endurance nut job also. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he's done um, some crazy stuff. He was already a pretty dedicated ultra runner when I met him, but he never did any winter racing. So I'm the one who got him into winter stuff, which he's now really surpassed me. I mean, he's walked to Nome, I think six times now. So (laughs) whereas I I've done the bike to Nome, which is a thousand miles across Alaska. I've done that once and I would like to do it again. I am. That's another thing I'm thinking of for 2022. So is to do the Nome. Yeah. Okay. So right now I'm anticipating next year, having my own kind of maybe big endurance year if everything works out well. Sure. Where I where I ride my bike to Nome in March and then Tour Divide in June. So 
Nice. It'll be my sort of, I don't know. I've always, I've, I thought it'd be cool to try to do them both in a year. And again, some okay. things would have to fall into place, but. Right, right, right. Now the, 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 the right to know that, the Iditarod dog, which which I, which a lot of people are probably more familiar with, the Iditarod mm-hmm. dog race. Does that ha- do, do, do all does all that happen around the same time, or do they happen separately, or does one start first and then the race? Yeah. How does that work? They they correlate. So the the human powered race starts one week before the dog race. Okay. Um, and really, they 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 run in tandem almost because they need each. Well, the the human powered people need the dog sled race to help maintain the trail. Gotcha which is why they're so close together. Um, I would but think logistically not, would make more sense too. Yeah. So all the logistics there is why they're, they kind of run, run in tandem. Uh, but they're not financially related. Like the human power race doesn't use any of the resources, like the checkpoints and stuff are all separate. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But so they coordinated then to have them be close to each other for what you, for what you said to help maintain the trail. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because they, they, like the, the bikers and the, the runners, even the skiers really need to have that, like the, the dog sled race, they have people on snowmobiles going out in front of the race and sure. packing the trail. Um, and the, and, and they do a lot of trail work too, with, you know, as far as cutting down trees, deadfall, all of that, that, Without that, it would be a lot harder to run the human powered race. So you can kind of say that the human powered race kind of leeches off the dogs because the dog sled race has a huge budget, whereas the human powered race does not. Right, right. Um, but they, like, it's cordial, like the, the dog sled race, they're, they're happy that we're out there. So, right. <laughs> no fights breaking out. And well, there, maybe there uh, have been. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's been some, there's been some tension, but it's, it's mostly. Positive tension. Yeah, good. So if anybody out there that's listening to this is not um, completely freaked out about, let's say, doing the Tour Divide mountain bike race, what would you, what would you tell them? What would, what would be your advice? To, for, for someone who's wanting step, to race yeah, Tour yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd really say get out there and, and do it. Like sometimes you really just have to jump off the cliff to, <laughs> um, obviously if you're really interested and you want to do all you can to prepare and these days it's a lot easier. You can, you know, go online and learn a lot about everything, sure. every aspect of the race, other people's nutrition, other people's gear, you know, it's worth doing all of that research and really, really getting to understand the race and mm-hmm. what you're getting to. <laughs> um, obviously, you, you know, you need to do some training, but a lot of people don't need to do, you know, it's like, you don't actually need to be out there 40 hours a week riding your bike. I mean, some people can get by, you know, you want to build up good endurance, but, sure, sure. but there's just so much mental gain in that race. So that sure. is really the first thing you need to surmount. So at the same time, if you have a lot of reservations, sometimes you just say, I'm just going to start. <laughs> and let's see how far I get. Let's let's go for it, you know. Yeah, I'm sure there were several times. Well, I, there were a few times I know where you were like, man, <laughs> if the gravy train were here, I'd jumping on it. Yes. Yep. You know that is part of the mental challenge too. Is if you know it, you you want to bail so badly, and you've got to prevent yourself from doing that. Yeah. Usually, unless it's a real emergency, you'll you'll regret it later. So. <laughs> 
So let me ask you this though: the the bike that you were riding, you said uh, at, back then was a Surly. You said, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Um, obviously, bike technology even in the last fifteen years has has greatly improved. What are you riding? What are you riding these days? So t- these days, I ride a Titanium Moots. Oh, okay. Um, Moots is a, a builder, frame builder in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Sure. Um, but it's a just a Titanium Muto X. It's got a, a actually a little bit of a soft tail on the back. Okay. Okay. And I really, really love that bike. I actually bought it back in 2012. So in a way it's not that much newer. I mean, now relative to my 2009 Tour Divide bike, it's not even that much newer, but I love it so much that I plan to just keep putting new parts on it until it absolutely can't. If it works. Yeah. If it keeps functioning. Yeah. Since I bought it, I think I I put a new fork on it last year and a couple of other things, new suspension fork. And so now it's really not, it's barely the same bike it used to be. It's pretty much just the frame. <laughs> the only original piece on that bike. I got new wheels and everything. Sure. That's funny. That's um, <laughs> I had a question that I was going to ask and I forgot. Um, let me see. Tour Divide. Second, give me a second. When I get older like this, long in the tooth, we were talking about the bike. Oh, I know. So when you rode it in 2009, you were wearing oversized running shoes with regular pedals. Yeah. Are you still are you still running that get up? Or I still up? run that. Yes. Nice. I yes. My my shoes are one and a half sizes too large, and the platform pedals. I just I I have clipless. Pe- I put them on my road bike from time to time, and I've got them on my tra- trainer, but. Um, they still hurt my feet. Like I just can't deal with long hours in the saddle and those pedals. Is really the, what it comes down to. Hey, I have super sensitive feet. It's up. It's about comfort, right? If you're gonna yeah. be if you're gonna be riding that far for that long, hey. That that is what it is for me. It's all about comfort, and I don't know that I really like. I do tons of climbing on all my bikes, and I don't know if I really notice that much of a difference with the clipless pedals in that sure. regard. They do obviously for technical mountain biking, they make a difference, but like I said, I don't need that much of that. So nice. So one last question, cause we're coming up to an hour and I don't want to keep you much longer. So having had all these experiences, having had these, you know, run-ins with elements, with animals, with, with all these things, is there, when you, when you're thinking about next year and thinking about whether it's the ride to Nome or the divide, is there still something that kind of gives you that butterfly feeling about, Ooh, is it the challenge? Is it, you know, is it still something that's making you, you know, perk up a little bit? <laughs> well, it, well, it is. Yeah. I mean, I still, I still love it so much, which is why I'm, you know, sometimes people ask why I'm still doing the same thing. It's like, Oh, yeah. why do that? I did ride again. Why not do something else? And there are other things out there that I want to try the Silk Road race. Okay. Kyrgyzstan. Um, if I really had all the money in the world, maybe a big expedition in Greenland or something, but, sure. uh, but I still, I still feel so excited and so like nervous about riding my bike across Alaska. It's still such a huge thing for me. And because I sure. know, you know, because I've, I understand it better now in that way, it's even more valuable to me. It's like, okay, so what can I do with this experience this time? Yeah. Around? Can so. you push the boundaries a little bit? Your own boundaries, your own. Exactly. I, I, I like to, I, I, I feel like, I, oh, I met my limit that time. I was like, no, I can do, I can do more. So that's how I'm approaching it this time around. Still has a little left in the tank. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> again, maybe it is also like, oh, I'm getting older. I still want to prove it. You know, I can. Absolutely. Yeah. You got you my five year old self. But, yeah. <laughs> if we're not moving forward, right? Is that yeah. how the saying goes? If we're not moving forward, yeah. we're, I don't know, not moving, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if that's the actual saying, but, um, well, Jill, again, thank you very much for, for joining us. It's been about an hour and, uh, you know, I love reading everything that you've written and I hope people take away some inspiration from your adventures and hopefully this inspires somebody to put on, um, you know, one size too big running shoes and get on the bike and, and head on out the door. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. That was it. Pretty Great. painless. Yeah, no, that was, that was fun. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I like, again, I hope, you know, down here it's the summer and it's getting <laughs> hotter than you know what. It's hot and, here. Yeah, but you, I don't know that you've experienced the kind of humidity that they get down here. I have experienced it and you're right. It is a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I tell people I'm a, I'm a cold weather Mexican. I grew up in Chicago <laughs> and I would rather be there in January than here in August because it just, it just gets unbearable. <laughs> I sympathize. I've been to Louisiana in July. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I understand. <laughs> and I was, uh, there've been many races I've trained for that you have to train through the summer and, you know, you get used to it, your body, you know, adjusts and you get, you know, your body, you know, you make the adjustments and, and then it becomes not as intolerable, but God, it's just no matter what you do, you walk into a building and the air conditioning is, you know, it's like a meat locker and you're sweating and then you're cold because you're sweating. Anyway, you don't need to. I, yeah. No, I sympathize <laughs> and I'm, I, I admire you for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord help me. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but again, thank you very much. And, yeah, um, thanks so much. and, uh, uh, I'll give you a shout to let you know when the, when it goes up. Um, okay. I'm doing a series on Western States cause I ran it back in 2016 and so I'm kind of revisiting all the players that, that, that helped me get through that. And so that's going up. So I've been editing those out because those are going to be coming up. And then um, I've got yours and then the other gentleman that I interviewed that did the divide, you know, get those up. And so uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll get the episode up. So Sounds good. Yeah. I look forward to listening to all of these. Um, is there, is there a picture that you, cause I like to use a picture to promote it. Is there, there's one of you that I, I, I couldn't find, but there was one of you where your, your face is full of ice. Yeah. I can send you, a, I can send you that. <laughs> oh, that would be great. That would be great. Cause then, I have, yeah, I've got several obviously, but yeah, I'll, I'll send you a <laughs> Cause those are really, I think the best. The best for... Yeah. Cause I think people will appreciate it when, you know, they're listening to this and, and it's a hundred freaking degrees outside. Yeah. So you could be enjoying this. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, thanks again, Jill. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and, you. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch. All right. All right. Thanks. thanks. Bye-bye.